Praise the Lord. Well, if you're here tonight and uh, you weren't here this morning, you weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give tonight. And so if you're making out a check uh, or you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, want a tax receipt for giving, you can raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. And if you're making out a check, you can make it out to New Creation Church or you can go on and give by text or give online. I just want to thank you for your generosity. And uh, as I said today, uh, this morning, uh, in the last month, uh, 21 people have made a decision for Jesus. And so a number of youth have made a decision for Jesus since we started uh, a youth on Sunday night. And so uh, your giving helps us to continue, and uh, lives are being changed in a number of different ways. And so we appreciate your generosity so much. And so after you fill that out, after the service, there's receptacles out in the foyer on either side and uh, some receptacles out either door, one hanging right there. And uh, you can put your tithes and offerings there. We pray and believe, God, that this is going to be your best year ever and uh, that God is moving and prospering you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, open your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy In chapter 1, and we're going to read, uh, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off uh, just a couple of weeks ago and uh, uh, begin to talk about these things. I believe it's, it's very important. I'm still actually endeavoring. I got some things on my heart. I'm endeavoring to navigate uh, a couple of different things here. So bear with me as we, we get in and we locked in uh, on these things. But uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, a young pastor. Here in 2 Timothy, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, the genuine faith that is in you, I might highlight that, underline that, something that's very important as we move forward uh, today in the life that we live in, that genuine faith that is within you. Many times we just say we have faith. We take our faith somewhat for granted. We may say, you know, I'm of the Baptist faith or I'm of the uh, Pentecostal faith, but he's really talking about faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's a genuineness of your faith. Uh, Peter said it like this, that the genuineness of your faith, though it be tested by fire, be proven to be more precious than gold. And really, the only way to figure out and the only way to find out if your faith is genuine faith is to go through some stuff. Right? Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it really, you can begin to say, man, I, I just heard a message. I just listened to somebody online or heard a message, you know, or something that you preached, Pastor, or something I heard Pastor Tasha preach. And man, that just set with my heart. I believe that. And uh, by Wednesday, you get to really find out how much you believe that, right? So, you know, one of the things that we always get tried in is we hear a message on love. It moves our heart. We, we realize, man, I, I've been offended. I'm not loving somebody. God, right now, I just trust you. I'm going to walk in love. And uh, it'll be the toughest week you ever had. There will be people come out of the woodwork to see how much you believe God to walk in love. And so there is a trying of our faith. Why, why is there a trying of our faith? Well, really, as we walk in that trying of our faith, that produces patience. I love that, what James says, it produces patience. And he says, let patience have its perfect work in you. So listen, when, when the trial of your faith comes, we, we'd like it to be over today. 
right? I mean, all of us would. When we get a trial, we're like, does this really have to happen? But if we look at it for what it is, a testing of our faith, then we stay with it. And we believe God in the midst of a situation. And it's taking us through, right? It's not something that can be over. It's something that we're walking through. And he said, it, it, the trying of our faith produces patience. But he said, go ahead and let patience, that patient endurance, remaining in faith. That word patience means to remain under, right? And so it's not that we just remain under the trial, but we remain in faith through the trial. And then we come out the other side. It says, complete and entire, lacking no good thing. Right? So what he's talking about is that genuineness of your faith. You can say you have faith, but when you enter into a trial and you still believe God and you come out of the trial and you still believe God and you go into the next trial and you still believe God, you're showing that that genuine faith and that faith is more precious than gold. It'll do things for you that money can't buy. Right? And you may know that, but it's really true that, that all of a sudden you realize, you know what? What the psalmist said, listen, your word, oh God, I put it in my heart, your word, I desire it more than gold, more than silver, more than anything. It's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. There's something about the word of God that's just so sweet that develops our faith in him that really determines as it runs its course, we can do anything and we can go through anything. And the Apostle Paul is our example. He said, listen, uh, neither death nor life, nor angels or principality, nor things present or things to come. And famine, peril, nakedness, or sword, right? It doesn't matter if the economy's up or down. It doesn't matter if there's peril, there's trouble sometimes, or there's not. It doesn't matter if there's wars or rumors of wars going on. Doesn't matter if I have enough or I have a little. Nothing in this world can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Come on, we watch people go up and down. We watch their trial. We watch them come and go. We watch them be emotionally dominated by different things. And the life of the Spirit to stand and say, you know what? Though this is difficult, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Nothing's going to separate me from the love of God. Because that's the whole test. That's the whole trial. To understand the purpose of the trial is to overcome your faith in God, to get you to believe the lie of the enemy, to give up on faith and say, you know what? Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I don't love God as much as I thought if I'm going through this trial. But when we go through the trial and we understand God was with us every step of the way, he's never left us. He's never forsaken us. He'll be with us wherever we go and whatever we go through, we strengthen our faith in God. When it comes that it never wavers, we find ourselves in this place of faith that is genuine faith. When we start to find out a genuine faith, there's two aspects of faith. And really, when we look at the, the fruit of the Spirit, where it says faithfulness, that Greek word is really faith, but they, they translated it faithfulness because it goes together. We always think about faith being just our trust in God. And there's that place where we continue to operate trusting God. And we bring ourselves to where we trust God enough to do what God has told us to do. Not just say we trust God, but trust God with our life. Trust God with our finances. Trust God to go where he's called us to go. Trust God to speak to the people that he's called us to speak to. Trust God that when he says, go ahead and lay your hands on somebody and pray, we trust God with that. Not look at ourselves and say, well, what if they don't? What is it going to mean to me? But we trust God. Now, understand we're in faith, but we're trusting God. And the more we trust God, and the more we obey what God tells us to do, we not only trust God because he's faithful, 
But he also watches faith develop in us and turn to faithfulness. And there's a height of relationship. There's a genuineness of your faith when not only do we trust God, but God trusts us with what he's given to us. And so it's just amazing. God bless the baby. Praise the Lord. I probably woke the baby up. He's probably sleeping just fine. See, that's just the difference when you get older. All of you are falling asleep and the babies are waking up. So Paul just, he, he really got stirred up about the genuineness of the faith that was in Timothy that he found was really something that was passed down from his grandmother to his mother to Timothy. Listen, the genuineness of your faith will start to be passed to your children and your children's children. Come on, our kids know like nobody knows that if we're just playing church or we believe what we're talking about. Come on. They know if we go to church, we raise our hands, but we go home, we're mad, we're worried, we're stressed, we're upset, everything, the world's coming down, or they know if we pray and we go home and we say there's trouble, but we're trusting God. We join together, we pray together, we stand together, they watch that. And Paul said there was a faith that was in your family and it was passed down to you and it's genuine faith. That's why it's so important. We don't, we don't just play church. We don't just come to fulfill a religious requirement. We come to participate in the body. We come to receive the word of God that faith would arise in our heart. Our trust in God would become strong because it becomes part of the legacy that we leave, genuine faith. Verse 6, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given you a spirit of fear but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Again, we're going to go back to stirring up the gift that's within you, but you're going to stir up something. Not only does your genuine faith bring you into that relationship with God, but you start to understand that God has called you with a holy calling. When he prayed for the church at Ephesus, and he began to say to the church at Ephesus, and pray for the church at Ephesus, that I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light, that you might know what is the hope, the expectation of your calling. God called you out of a life bound by sin, and he called you out of that into something that's great. You've been called into the kingdom of God's dear son. You've been called into a place where he is Lord and master, but you walk with him every day, and it's a holy calling. It's a separated calling. It's a sanctified calling, and everybody in this room has been called to a holy calling. Say, well, I don't know that I'm, I'm called to anything. Listen, do you have a family? then you are called out to your family to minister to your family. As you minister to your family and you're faithful to minister to your family, God expands the sphere of your influence 
and begins to give you a calling, and it's a holy calling. Why? Because there's people who are groping in darkness. The Bible says that the devil, the God of this world, has blinded their minds lest the light of the glorious gospel shines on them. And we are called to be light bearers. We are called to be those who bring the knowledge of the light of the glorious gospel. You are a living testimony of what God can do in somebody's life who is bound by sin and is now released into the life that God gives. You are that testimony. People are watching you. They know you. They know where you've been. They know what you've done, especially here in a small town. <laughs> they know that. Right? They know how you used to be. And when you stand up and live the light of the gospel, they're like, who are you? So what do you mean, who am I? You're different. You're different than you used to be. You don't walk. As, as Peter said, they find out you don't walk in the same flow, the same flow of dissipation. They think it'll be over. They think you'll get over it. But when they find you don't get over it, you're done walking that way. You're walking with God. It brings light to them. Because, see, they look at the world and they think it's just we all just go this way. This is the way everybody goes. Everybody's doing it. But when they find somebody break free from doing that, they immediately think, well, this is just religion. This is just fanaticism. But when they watch your consistency of living in the life of God, they know there's something different. You bear the light of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is some stuff that we say but it's what we believe and act upon that they actually see. They see the outward response, the outward action that comes from an inward faith and believing in God. Right. And it's holy to God. Yeah. Come on, when you obey God and live for God, when you live for God in front of somebody, not for you, but knowing that God, I, I do it for God, but people are watching and it's changing what they see, God sees it as holy. Everything that God's put upon your life, God sees as holy. God sees your faith in him as holy faith. Jude said, build yourself up on your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. There's some things that are consecrated to God, and the calling that he put upon your life is God's calling on your life. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, I don't know if I'm called to be an apostle or a prophet or evangelist. Well, you're called to become like Jesus, right? You're called to be a child of God, to be transformed into that very image and move from faith to faith and glory to glory. God's moving us in a direction forward, and it's a holy calling. Praise the Lord. I could be in trouble. I think I just ran out of battery. All right. Praise the Lord. I'm going to go into my office and get me a Bible. Thank God for technology. It's really not technology. It's me falling asleep on the job. Praise the Lord. But I know where we're going here. We're going to talk about stirring up the gift of God that's on the inside of you. See, in the day that we live in, what he's talking about, Timothy, is moving forward. And that as we approach the world and we bring what we have to the world, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he said, because of that, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we have a holy calling to affect the lives of other people. We have 
put upon us, and each and every one of you, you don't have to be in a leadership seminar, this is not what this is, but each and every one of you have called, been called to be a leader. Because leadership is influence, and every single one of us has been called to influence people around us. You may not stand behind a pulpit, you may not have a congregation, but you have people that you will encounter on a daily basis that may or may not know anything about Jesus, and if they don't, somebody needs to tell them. And thank God for the missionaries that go into the other parts of the world. We love to support missionaries. Thank God for the ministries that are established for all kinds of different things that take place, whether they're churches in the community or, or parachurch ministries that go on somewhere else. Thank God for all of those. But you, you say, well, I don't have a ministry. Yes, you do. You have a ministry of reconciliation. Wherever you go, and it's a holy calling to be reconciled to God and be given the ministry of reconciliation. And again, if you're not sure what that is, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that the ministry of reconciliation is simply this, that God was in Christ Jesus, not imputing your trespasses to you. See, so often we think, well, if I'm going to minister to people who are in sin, I've got to tell them, man, if you don't turn around, you're going to go to hell. But the ministry of reconciliation is Jesus didn't come to send you to hell. Jesus came to save you from it. I know it sounds like semantics, but that's where people are like, how can a God who loves people send them to hell? He did not come to send people to hell. He came to save people from it. John chapter 3, 17 says that he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So that's just a slight difference of ministry, but somebody who has a ministry of reconciliation to tell people they're going to go to hell if they don't turn, the ministry of reconciliation is simply this. God was in Christ Jesus, not imputing your trespasses to you, but reconciling you through Jesus Christ to God. Right? He said, so you are an ambassador. You are one that goes to people to represent God, to represent Jesus to people who are lost and dying so they might know and understand him as Savior and the operating of the kingdom of God. And it's a holy calling. And there's a gift on the inside of you, and there's graces on the inside of you. As Paul gets to it, he says there's a grace. There's a gift of grace on the inside of you. Peter talks about being a good steward of the manifold grace of God. And when he talks about being a minister of the manifold grace of God that's in you, he says, listen, as you're a steward of this grace of God, he said, when, if the grace that you have on you is to speak, speak as of the oracles of God. If the grace that is upon you to serve, serve with the ability and the strength that God gives you. He says, whatever you do, there's something on the inside of you, a grace, a gifting of God's grace on the inside of you that you can try to do things by yourself and it can be a struggle or you can begin to operate by the grace and the gifting of God on the inside of you and it begins to become easy. Jesus said, my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Come on, when, you, when we're yoked to Jesus, things just get easier. It's really a, a supernatural uh, um, connection there. I did a wedding yesterday and, and uh, the people that I did a wedding for are um, they're horse people. And so 
uh, in the process of that wedding just to, to kind of connect with them as they were. Um, I looked up this, this story about the power of two horses. And so when horses are yoked together, if you have one horse that can pull 800 pounds and another horse that can pull 700 pounds, then your, your natural thinking is, wow, they can get together and pull 1,500 pounds. But they don't just pull, fit, pull 1,500 pounds, they pull 3,000 pounds because they not only pull their weight, but the joint weight of their interaction together. I love what it said, they pull according to their interaction together. That's why Jesus said, listen, man, if you are yoked to sin and the enemy, you're pulling and he's riding. Not only is he riding, he's stoking stuff in and you're getting wore out trying to pull through life. But he said, if you're weary of pulling and you're heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. He said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. He said, yoke yourself to me. And this is what he said. He said, if you're yoked to me, learn from me. He said, let's connect ourselves together and learn from me because our collective interaction. See, sometimes we think, here's what I can do. And then if this is what Jesus can do, potentially together we could do this. And Jesus said, man, you got this all wrong. He said, together, our collective interaction will do multiple times what you ever hoped, dreamed, thought, or asked. And so when he says to stir up the gift that's on the inside of us, he said, he put that gift there. Romans chapter 12 says that you have a gift that not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith, he said, you need to think about this grace that is in your life. He goes on to list some graces that are in our life. And many times we try to pick a grace that's in our life and say, I'd like to be that one. I'd like to be the preacher. I'd like to be the prophet. I'd like to be the singer. But he said, listen, find out what grace God put in your life. Not how you want to think about it, but how God wants to think about it. And so I believe that in the day that we're in and the day that we're entering into, that you and I are going to have to more than ever before to be influential, stir up the gift of God that's on the inside of us. Not look at our talents, not look at our abilities. Thank God he put some of those in there, but really begin to stir the inside to find out what's on the inside. So we're going to talk about different ways that we really perpetuate and we begin to stir up the gift on the inside of us, and we're just going to start really basic. If you want to stir up the gift that's on the inside of you, the number one way that we start to stir up the gift on the inside of us is by the word of God. By the word of God, that genuineness of your faith that we're talking about and the word of God that we're talking about is so important. But I really like this. uh, uh, In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, it says, Jeremiah says this. Well, just turn over there. I'll have to turn the pages of the Bible. Praise the Lord, which is a good thing. I'm just used to uh, my... uh, iPad. Jeremiah chapter 20. Verse 9, it says, then I said, you can read the, the prior things. He said, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart 
like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of withholding, of withholding it back and could not. Listen, the prophet of God said, listen, I take the word of God out and I get persecuted for it and I get pressed by it and it seems to cause me trouble, so I'm just not going to do it anymore. He said, I can't not do it. My gifting, my calling, he said, the word was like fire shut up in my bones. I could not contain it. When we begin to digest the word of God and we allow the word of God to go into our spirit, it's something that starts to stir, just like a fire on the inside, like a campfire that begins to to go down and it starts to lose its embers. And you have to just start poking that fire just a little bit to get it going. The word of God starts to poke on the inside of things. And stir up the gift that's on the inside of you. We want to look at the word of God and know that the word of God is life. We don't want to read it like a book. We don't want to read it like a rule book. But we want to read it knowing that it's spirit and that it's life. And that the Holy Spirit of God wants to take this word that is alive and take it off the pages. And if we receive it into our spirit where the Holy Spirit lives, he wants to translate it into life. Come on, not just translate it into understanding, translate it into life. We feel burdened down when we look at the word and we're like, oh, gee, I have to do that. How am I going to do that? But he is not only the one that enables you, but he's the one that gives you the how. You're like, how am I going to do that? I don't even know how I'm going to be able to do that. I don't even know how I'm going to forgive that person. I don't know how I'm going to give to God. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this, this stress that's in my life. I don't know how I'm going to have joy when such sadness is hitting me. I don't, God, how am I going to do all this stuff? He says, calm down. You've got the word in your head, and it's attacking your emotions, but let it move down into your heart. And I'll start to show you and empower you. And show you not only the how, but the why. I'll give you the when, and I'll move you into the place. So that the word that, that you're meditating on, that I put in your heart, this fire, shut up your bones, that there will be a place that it comes out that will be effective, that you'll speak with conviction and faith, that will minister and pierce to someone else's heart and bring a change. It's like an all-consuming fire, the word just shut up in our bones. Turn over to the 119th Psalm. The 119th Psalm. This is kind of fun. I haven't turned the pages of my Bible preaching for a long time. I have in my reading, but 119th Psalm. And verse 9. He says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wonder... From your, wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as is in all, as much as in all riches I meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Come on, as we begin to walk in what God has called us to, that word begins to stir up and show the way that we should walk in. 
Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and it is a light unto my path. Come on, that word begins to illuminate the direction that we should go. The word begins to show up things in our life that otherwise we would not know. I want to read a couple of quotes here if I can find them. Well, sorry, I'm messing up some stuff today. There it is. I think I read a couple of these last time, but I want to read a couple of these quotes about the word of God. I think they're they're fitting where we are. J.C. Ryle was an, uh, an evangelical Anglican bishop in the 1800s. He said, I call upon you not to forget the book of the soul. Do not let newspapers, novels, and romances be read, while the prophets and apostles be despised. Do not let the exciting and the sensual swallow up your attention while the edifying and the sanctifying can find no place in your mind. Come on, he's just talking about something that we get to the point where it's like, ooh, I like to watch this, I like to read that. It gives me something, and the word of God sits on the nightstand, and it's the thing that sanctifies and edifies and shows up our very calling, and we'd rather read about romance, we'd rather read about something else that someone is doing, something someone else writ has written, and I'm not saying there's anything bad, but when it takes the place of the word of God, we have trouble finding out and stirring up what God has put on the inside of us. The word is so important. R.A. Torrey said this. He said, 99 Christians in every 100 are merely playing at Bible study. And therefore, 99 Christians in every 100 are mere weaklings when they might be giants. Come on, he just encourages us to dive into the word of God, to study it. Why? Because the word brings light and the word brings life to us. The word is light and it brings life to us. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. I believe with all of my heart that as we begin to look at this and we begin to look at the word of God, that it'll show up some stuff that'll be phenomenal to you. Right. As you begin to look down on the inside and you begin to allow the word of God to cultivate the giftings that are on the inside of you, many of you will find out the thing I thought was the calling and the gift in my life, that's not what God's saying at all. I saw someone else do it and it ministered to me and I really wanted to be like that. And I really wanted to preach like that. I wanted to love like that. I wanted to give like that. I wanted to be in a charity like that. But all of a sudden, the word of God starts stirring something different in you. And the word of God will bring us to a place of humility. There's just something about looking at the word of God. And, you know, in, a, in, our, in our staff devotionals, uh, we've, we've gone through really almost all the New Testament. But as we go through the Gospels and we begin to look at it and begin to see how Jesus, by his word, really called people to sanctification. Jesus didn't ever apologize for his stance. And even talking to the staff and some of the young men on the staff, they're like, man, I'm struggling with what this means. And if you don't put some of the things that Jesus says in the context of how much he loves you, 
you'll think Jesus is being hard and, 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 and gruff, but he loves you. See, in our mindset, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to be your disciple? And Jesus said, laid out all the things. He said, I've done all those. And he says, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And the rich young ruler became very sad and he walked away. In our mind of Jesus, in the culture that we live in today, is as the rich young ruler began to walk away sad, Jesus went, oh, sorry, I didn't want to make you sad. Maybe don't give everything away. Maybe we could do a 50-50 deal and you could still come follow me. See, because we think Jesus is nice because we don't understand that Jesus loved him. He said when Jesus was talking to him that Jesus loved him. But Jesus knew that you can never really follow me if you're following money. Jesus called him to something higher, not because he was trying to put too much pressure on him, because he was trying to hold him down. Jesus was actually trying to lift him up, and Jesus knew that if he could sell the things that had a hold of him and release him from that, Jesus could lift him to his divine destiny, which would mean far more than money would ever mean to him. And so as the word of God begins to go down and stir on the inside of us, revelation is going to come, and you're going to find out there's things in you, things that God wants you to do, things that God wants you to let go of, things that God doesn't want you to, to look at as far as, boy, I, God, I could, I, could do this, I could do this for you. And he's like, that's not what I want you to do for me. Yeah, but I could, re- I, I, I could do it. He's like, yeah, and you could do it, and you'll get all the credit. But I'd like you to do this. And it stirs in us and says, I don't think I can do that. And he's like, exactly. <laughs> he's going to stir stuff in you and there's wounds in you. And you're, you're going to read and say, oh, man, I have to forgive. I have to forgive people. And you're like, God, I'll forgive them, but I really can't forgive. And I, I know I can't forget. Right? And I get more feedback on this than almost anything when you talk about forgiveness. Oh, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. We don't think we can forget. But the only reason we can't forget, listen, man, you forget to stop and bring home the bread. You really don't have any trouble forgetting. <laughs> Come on. We're always like, I can't forget. You forgot plenty. Why? Because you forgot to bring home the bread, and then you have an excuse. Somebody called, I got interrupted. I was listening to something else. I was thinking about something else. Do you know how you forgive and forget? The moment you forgive and loose them, you start thinking about something else. You start thinking about where you're going now that you're loose from that offense. You start thinking, and the moment you start seeing where you're going instead of where you've been, eventually you'll forget it. And not because you can do it, but because the power of the Holy Spirit wants to release you from that. And you'll say, I can't do that. And he says, I know you can't. And that's why I'm here to strengthen you and help you. I've empowered you by my grace to be able to do what you could not do. And so sometimes you find out right now, I'm just called away from my past so that I can have a present with him to see my future. And he'll stir up 
some things in you so that you can be called out of that towards something else. We think, well, i got to find my ultimate calling. Sometimes you need to understand I'm called from here to here, and I'll get to there in time. But I've got to let the Word of God start stirring what's on the inside of me. And so Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You all know this very well. We're going to talk about it a little bit, then we'll, we'll wrap it up for tonight. He says, for the Word of God is living it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He said, listen, this word right here, this word is alive. Now, I, I know it just looks like words on a page or words in a device that you might have your phone or something. And you can flip out of those words and you can put this down and you could go pick up another book and you could go, it looks just like the other book. But the thing about it is it's supernatural. The Bible says it was God breathed. The Holy Spirit breathed on men of old who began to pen these words. You know, I was sharing with Bible school the other day. I think we did a message like this at one point in time. And if I would have really been ahead of the game, I would have brought it again. And I would have found like a, a Mickey Mouse balloon that really has shape to it. But you know, if I brought a Mickey Mouse balloon and it's just sitting here all like raveled up. And I take it and I stretch it out a little bit and I blow in it and I blow it up and all of a sudden it takes the form and it takes the shape that it was created to have. And why did it take the form and the shape that it was created to have? Is because I breathed of my life into it. And you can look at it and we, you know, we just do all that. But if anything ever happened and somebody said, we want to know what, what's that balloon made of? And they swabbed the inside of it. Guess what they would find out? They would find your DNA on the inside of that balloon. And they would determine that you blew that balloon up, that you took it from that ratty little piece of rubber and made it take shape through your breath, through your life. This word is God-breathed. If we were able to swab it, it has the DNA of God in it. But the supernatural part of it is, is that when you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, you were born again of God's Spirit, and His Spirit lives on the inside of you, and God's Spirit has God's DNA in Him. And so when you were born again, you were born again, and the DNA of God, the Spirit of God lives in your spirit. And when you take the words of this page out, and you receive it in your eye gates, and you receive it in your ear gates, and you don't allow it to stop at your feelings and your emotions, but you allow it to go down and to penetrate through your feelings, through your emotions, and you allow it to penetrate into your spirit, the DNA of this word comes in contact with the DNA of God's Spirit, and it becomes a alive in purpose and in action it becomes alive and begins to discern the thoughts and the intents of your heart because we always have good intentions 
We're always thinking all over, but he says, listen, I'll let the word begin to renew your mind and govern your thoughts and change your intentions. Because we can fool people. We can say, you know what, I really, I would never do this for myself. But you intend to do it for yourself. And the word of God shows that up and says, you can tell everybody else it's not about you, but the intention of your heart I show up is about you. And we allow the word of God to humble us. And why would he do that? Well, God just wants to humble me. Well, he doesn't want to humiliate you. He wants to humble you because he knows the moment that you will humble yourself, he can position you in a place that's greater than you ever thought. See, the moment we think and have an intention, I'll take what I can do and I'll do some great things with it and then I'll present it to God. God says it's going to come out a little stinky. But if you'll take what I've given you to do and know that you can't do it, and work and yoke yourself together with me and allow my grace to empower you to do something you could not do on your own. It'll rise to something that you're in awe of, that others are in awe of, and it will bring glory and honor and praise to God, which leads people to him, to Jesus, not to us, not to our great talent. Our gifts aren't to draw attention to us, but they're to draw attention to Jesus. As the word begins to show up things on the inside of us and we begin to adjust and obey and allow the word of God to penetrate, we're stirring up stuff on the inside of us, first and foremost, right? Because if the gift on the inside of you is to share with others and you have that grace to speak to others, then you want to speak as of the oracles of God. You want to speak the things that God has said, not the things of your opinion, not the things of your emotion at the moment, but what God has said. So even if we stir up a gift on the inside of us, but we don't bring the substance of the word of God. We'll never bring faith to those who don't know him. And it's our calling in whatever way is to bring faith to people who don't know him. And he says, how will they know unless somebody tells them? And how will they tell them unless they're sent to them? And there's people in your workplace, and there's people in your neighborhood, and there's people down the road that God is sending you to that you would otherwise not notice, you would not pay attention to, you'd not think about, except for you've been in the word and the spirit of God begins to stir in you and you recognize he's called me to this place and this time for that person. And something supernatural can happen because of what God's put on the inside of you and change a life forever. And I'll tell you what, you get to be a hero of faith. Come on, you come across somebody, share the life of God with him, plant seeds in their heart, or you harvest, and they get born again. And if there is newspapers in heaven, they're running off the presses. Right? Peter saved a life today. He's a hero. And all the angels in heaven start rejoicing at one sinner who gets saved. See, we want a crowd. It's always better to have a crowd, you know. But all heaven rejoices when one sinner gets saved. I believe we're, we're entering into a day. We love the move of the Spirit of God. I love the move of the Spirit of God. We're going to have some crazy things happen. I, I just tell you, when God's Spirit starts moving. But he wants to move through you one-on-one. -on -one. The greatest exponential growth 
And the reason I believe that in the buildings, in the church buildings, there's going to be God do some really wild stuff to minister to people, and you're going to see the sick healed and, and, and the deaf hear and the blind see, is because you one-on-one are going out and, and sharing the gospel with people, and then they're going to come in, and there's going to be a corporate synergy and a corporate anointing that's going to change lives in the building, but it was because you went out and stirred up the gift that was on the inside of you and begin to share the life of God with the people around you. And they said, I need that. And they get born again. Heaven rejoices. They come in. And God begins to do miraculous things through his word in their heart. It's time for the church to be mobilized. And I know many of you already are. You're doing things that God's called you to do. Some of you have some extraordinary ministries to people who are hurting and, and, and suffering. And so I commend you on that. Don't stop. Don't just say, I got this. God, I got this, because you don't ever have it. He wants to take you higher. He wants to cause more influence to come to bear. Keep stirring things up. Keep allowing the word of God to show up areas of your life that have not yet been seen and not yet been known about what God has planned for you. It's really easy for us to look at things and go, I know that, I know that. But when you read it again, and I know this is redundant from what we've said, but you know what? You can read this 119th Psalm today. And next week when you read it, get something different out of it if you're growing. So often we look and we go, oh, he's preaching on that. I've heard it. When did you hear it last? Because if you heard it last week and you're growing in God, it's alive. And he'll show you something different today than you knew last week. And it looks different because I'm in a different place today than I was last week. If you're not growing, it's just the same old, same old. But if you're growing... It's always alive. It's always able to speak something to your heart to keep you growing. It's the sincere milk of the word that causes you to grow. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you.